Bob Wick, and today we got something special for you. Uh, we're gonna abandon our usual format and give you a clip show. James and I have been going through our many, many hours of shows uh, to find some of our favorite clips. Unfortunately, we're gonna show you everything we love. Uh, there's just too much. So we, we found a good chunk and we hope you find it entertaining and inspirational and all that good stuff. Uh, just a quick reminder, if you're enjoying the show, please comment. This conversation between me and James is for everyone. So, you know, we want to hear your input. Uh, also, check out the Improv Network. Um, it's a great resource. Go to theimprovnetwork.org, not .net, not .com, .org. We're an organization, and there's so many cool resources. We have blogs. We have uh, a listing of all the, God willing, all, <laughs> uh, all the improv festivals coming up and we have old shows our our whole catalog is on this site so check it out uh we'll love to hear from you we hope you enjoy everything and uh enjoy the clips i'm so excited to finally be here and not just be lurking and watching <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great yeah well, it, it, yeah it's and we it appreciate like both we appreciate both <laughs> It's true. Yeah, can't go Who wrong. Who are we doing it for if it's not the lurkers? You if know, it's not me quietly on my phone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's how this is meant to be consumed quietly in some weird spot with your phone, no one around. Just me and James is talking sweet, sweet prob to you. And then that's perfect for me. Sweet, sweet prob, and sweet, our. <laughs> so yeah, let's talk about edits. Uh, I think um, we can talk about. The, the things that come to mind for me uh, on the subject of edits, uh, we can talk about editing as a skill because um, it's kind of like being tone deaf for some people. Some people really struggle with uh, like the right moments to edit um, or get it, just training that feeling. Um, yeah. And we can also talk about how useful they can be uh, in, in just the success of a show. I'm also thinking about uh, different types of edits and um things that are underutilized um i think there's a lot of really fun edits that that could go into pretty much any type of show and um don't get used a whole lot edits can also go a long way to to just kind of theming or giving your show an aesthetic if you are doing a form you know uh they can really they can just be really useful to to, to shape a show and and to uh stylize well, a show depending on the um the style of edit it can also be used to like boost the energy of the set yeah yeah pacing is huge and edits and and um yeah w w i don't know if this is kind of what you had in mind pete but uh one of the things um different types of edits editing at a peak or editing at a lull uh it's easy you know on a big laugh or applause uh to be like there it is and then run for it but uh, sometimes a scene is just full of either 
maybe it's full of, of tension that isn't getting like a sharp laugh or conclusion point. Um, or if the show isn't going that well, or the scene isn't going that well, um, you can kind of take a, a lower energy point and seamlessly move on to the next thing without having it be like a, a run of shame in a sweep edit across the stage where you're just like, fuck dude, sorry guys. Here we go to yeah. the next one. Um, I'm always yeah. a fan of when the scene is bombing so bad and the person gets a laugh from the edit because everyone was like, yep, absolutely yep, right. Yep, we all saw that train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oops. I also saw, um, I think it was you two and Jen Hansen that did, it might have just been the three of you, do a set called Robot Chicken. Do you guys remember that? Oh, when we did all the edits? Yeah, I think that your form well, or your what goal. What did we do? You did, you did a show called Robot Chicken. Yep. <laughs> okay. And the, uh, the, it seemed to me as an audience member, and then correct me if I'm wrong, Bob, that your goal was to pull out uh, like every type of edit and scene or, and show correct. element um, yep. and just go through the checklist from the top of the show to the bottom of the show. So there's a lot of crazy edits in that from you guys. Oh, God, I don't remember yeah. that at all. I think we were kind of thrown together at the last minute. Like it was like a proofing ground set or something. And they're like, we need a third, you know, we need a third group. And the three of us is like, let's do it. And then we were backstage and we we're trying to discuss like, what am I going to do? We don't want to just do a montage, just do something crazy. And I forgot who said it, but it was like, why don't we just do all the edits? And then we laughed, <laughs> Make it our agreed. Job. But why does that sound agree. That sounds like most forms that I've I've come up with. Let me just do this. Okay, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah why not? Yeah, it's a I, it's a whole life. Like, come, I'll be right back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, what stinks about that is I was gonna I was just gonna say like Jill has an amazing ability to play in her one uh, person show. Right, she has. A, a slew of characters. Yeah. She has all these characters that she brings out. And the thing is that she's able to re remember them, sustain them, and give the audience a real life connection to those yeah. to those characters. We like really like them. We really hate them or we cheer for them, whatever. But they if you notice, if you've ever seen uh, her show, she's not doing anything very far away from her right she's not right. like even if her accent changes a little it's not uh it's not a caricature these things mm, yeah. these characters that she's yeah. bringing out aren't caricatures they she really is like this is this person's uh point of view this is this person's want in the world she sustains that those characters in her body and even if you're playing uh you know a a uh, short form game and you're picking a character if you can if you can take a note out of jill's uh one person show page it's like yeah to sustain how 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 can you choose a character how can you become instead of trying to be or trying to act like uh, yeah no i like that yeah. <laughs> it is also so funny that she's not here i know <laughs> let's talk about her more while she's not <laughs> here <laughs> Uh, but um, I, I agree. And, and that really is like, um, I feel very comfortable playing like uh, the straight character. And um, sometimes I will uh, have um, 
what I feel is a strong uh, uh, character with like um, I, just just like a strong three dimensional character that that I feel like like is not me. But um, I don't know. I don't always have a handle on like uh, what what it is that's making it work. Um, so so are there things for like um, students that are interested in this type of character work? Uh, you know, you know, not just playing so close to self but like balanced between you know making strong choices but keeping it real and three-dimensional are, are there like kind of starting places or, or fundamentals that you hammer into new students to that world i i have tons of things to say about it but jill is back and i <laughs> <laughs> and and i want i jill if you could we were talking about drum machine your one person show while and, i was away yeah of course we were why wouldn't we do that it's a perfect time uh, <laughs> but we i was saying that your so i want to marry this question with what with a drum machine right because what you're asking james is do you have do we do you have any uh sort of tips as to how to make a three-dimensional how to create rather a three-dimensional character sustain a three-dimensional character and i was saying jill that in drum machine the characters that you are that you become aren't super far away from yourself they're not they're not caricatures they seem to be three-dimensional people uh, can you talk a little bit about how you would, um, you know, tell people yeah. how to do that or coach them how to do that? I believe in investing in the cartoon. Um, if you look at the character, like my own background is from comedy sports, you do, which is very much like, right? <laughs> like a very, uh, because our scenes are so short, mm -hmm. you don't need to have yeah. a character that you can live in forever. Um, so I come from a background actually, um, and then I've married it by thinking about some Comedia del Arte and some Marx Brothers. So a lot of what I know how to do to create a character is exterior work, mm -hmm. something I'm laying on, you know, something I'm doing with my body physically exterior in an exterior way. Yeah. Um, and then um, to fill that, to fill that exoskeleton, to, to invest in that cartoon, to fill it with a real heart. Um, my stock characters, get, 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 I like biscuits. But <laughs> I, the example I like to give is, get, 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 I like biscuits. At least I did before my wife died. And then we can play with that cartoon for real. We can treat that cartoon person like a real person. When, when, when people talk about fuck world, what does that term mean to you? Uh, when people talk to me about it, it's typically given a negative connotation. Um, like, I don't know, how, what do I do when the scene goes to fuck world? Uh, how do I get out of fuck world? Uh, it tends to be a negative. Um, and I've always, <laughs> I've always considered it a positive. Um, <laughs> well, I, I mean, grounded, everything we do has to be grounded. Right. There's certain bedrock principles of a scene. Um, and the problem, right, like the very essence of like why we call it fuck world is that people feel lost and they think it's just crazy town. And that usually always happens because someone in the scene has 
gone to fuck world within the first two lines instead of establishing the basics, right? Relationship character. And then then developing fuck world. The issue usually means uh, shit's gone crazy. I don't know what's going on. This is fuck world. I don't like it. Yeah, because it's pretty much like uh, it's named fuck world. I, I guess I don't have proof of this but like i it's it's like oh fuck or what the fuck um yeah. Yeah. or like fuck world. G- god damn it jeremy uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like why are oh, we wait, here yeah. why uh, are we doing this uh, why? but um i but, knew where we were going until you said that so, and now i'm <laughs> uncomfortable <laughs> yeah right so i uh, so you were so but gary you're saying that like it's definitely yeah something if it happens right out the gate is probably uh, one of the trickier places to be because you don't have a lot else to uh, you. You got to do a lot of work immediately to frame things, um, or uh, uh, not get out of panic mode in order to make any use of it. If it if if the first couple lines are oh fuck, <laughs> well right, and that's usually because uh, someone's trying to be funny or uh, trying to be creative um or you know nervous and just says like whatever weird thing comes into the brain because they think it'll be interesting um and then what do you do with it um and so people tend to not like it and when people talk to me about it again it's like how do i usually it's always like how do i get out of it how do i fix it and i think the reason we all enjoy it and can play in it is because a we don't want to fix it uh we want to dive into it um and figure out this new world that's the i mean it's a fuck world because it doesn't follow reality right like up is down and right is left or whatever um but i always reframe it like this you are coming at it from an internal actor point of view right i don't know what's going on um reframe it as an audience point of view does the audience know what's going on? Uh, if you don't know what's going on, they certainly don't know what's going on, even if they have more headspace than we do. So I always say, hey, you can't, it's super hard to go to fuck world in the first three lines because you've not established anything that you can play off of. Um, <clears throat> I don't know who you are. I don't know who I am. Where the hell are we? Why are you saying this weird shit? If you think about it from an audience standpoint, like just start normal. And normal just is always what? Uh, Character, relationship. And I always treat it like a graph, right? Like if you're going into fuck world, you have to take the audience with you. And so when you enter fuck world, the audience can follow you because they know who you are. They know who you are to each other or maybe where you are. Uh, And then when you start twisting reality, they can understand it because they've seen the creation of it. Yeah, you got you got to hold the audience's hand, and sometimes you have to hold like uh, your scene partner's hand. It's yeah, I I you know that's something that's been um, a big theme to me in the last couple of years um, is the audience being part of the show. Um, I've just been thinking about it in a different way that that it, that they it's it's like you're not doing this in a vacuum, it, and, and unlike um, scripted theater. It, it wasn't prepared to be delivered. Yeah. So the journey of, of I, sometimes I feel like uh, 
it's an, uh, maybe a separate conversation about, about, about like how to treat the audience um, and whether or not to uh, quote unquote hold their hand um, in the way that, that sometimes people are, are, are like are like uh, you, you don't want to confuse them like the audience are, are dumbasses but it's it's more it's not it, hold their hand in the in the sense that like like we're all in this including you everyone in this in this actual room is part of the experience of this show unfolding and so the, the holding hand is 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 not like uh condescending or or like don't no, get lost no, no. you dumbasses <laughs> no no there's a difference between <laughs> holding hands and going over and picking the person up and carrying them through the whole thing yeah. Yeah. Um, we don't we don't need just, to we don't need to be god on the beach no no it's it's that thing we're, we're you know even with object work and everything we're doing we're asking the audience to suspend their disbelief we're we're and we so with that in mind we have to build this thing for them because they haven't been trained, you know, they're not, right. especially if they're a new audience who's never seen improv before. We well, have to show them like, hey, there's not going to be props or we're not doing sketch. We're, we're, you know, we're making this all up and we're going to take our time, do it right. So you understand what we're doing, you know, so you can see it as well. You know, we have to make that connection. And you got to know what's going on, your scene partner and the audience. That's the fun part of Fuck World is you hold their hand at the beginning, establish the things that you need to establish so that the people on stage uh, can function in a, in a scenic way. Uh, and you hold the audience's hand to use Bob's term. And then at some point you let them go um, and like, enjoy this new world while you're floating in it. Cause um, this is not, you know, Hey, we're at Applebee's scene, you know? Um, and then the other thing I like about fuck world is, you can do anything in improv. Why would you want to sit in a chair and be at Applebee's in every scene? Um, but tell, tell me about the free form that Big Bang does. Like, uh, how, 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 what, what is it? How would you describe it? Like, what, what is your um, description of show look like when you do go on the road? So it's one of my absolute favorite styles of improv to perform by far. Um, I think that it exists in many, like, like some people might call it organic. Some people might call it something else. Um, but the way that we sort of describe it when we're teaching is it's free. I think a lot of times people think that free form is just like a montage, uh, but it's not, it's kind of like a method of deconstruction where like any scene on stage can be deconstructed into a million different other ideas or scenes or moments and then followed. So it's really like a follow the funny type form um, where you are creating the form as you go. And so every show doesn't only have unique scenes, but kind of has a unique form as well. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. It's so fun. I love... Um... So Bob and I are on a, are on a team with another friend of ours, uh, Gary and the team's called Javelin. I thought you were going to forget Gary's name for like <laughs> uh, a second. Some dude that we know. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> I got tripped up on how to say it. Like whose name is Gary? Um, a friend of ours <laughs> and his name is Gary. Uh, <laughs> but our friend Gary and the two of us are, are a trio. And um, uh, we try to make a rule for ourselves when we play of like uh, the first the first part of the show is anything but a scene, and then we don't use sweep edits for the rest of the show. Um, mm -hmm. those, that's really what defines our form um, 
as a challenge to do uh, other stuff. Um, yeah. And we try to play around with like transformative edits and like surrealism and non-scenic things. Is is that in line with the kind of stuff that happens with Big Bang? Yeah, um, it's so funny. Yeah, well, there's no sweep edits. And in fact, like I did improv as a child. And so I like grew up doing like short form improv. And then when I went to Boston, I'm actually from around New York area, but I moved to Boston after college. And when I went to Boston um, and started doing improv there, I sort of learned long form like as as I went, like on the spot. <laughs> uh, and so, and because I was working with Will, I didn't even... Um, I didn't even know what a sweep edit was. And I like moved to New York at 31 after doing improv for many, many years. And I was like, why are people just like running across the stage? <laughs> and like, it just felt wow. so, um, That's wild. Felt, I know it felt so hacky to me, which is yeah. ridiculous now because obviously I, I understand the sweep edit, but like, we only did what made like, yeah, I guess like some people call them pivots. Some people call them transitional edits. Like, like they're always like in the moment there's, um, and, and one of the things I love about big bang is because we really see all of those moments as part of the show. Uh, and so sometimes when you do like a, um, a sweep edit, it's almost like you're like, Okay, pause the improv for a second. We're going to sweep across the stage. Pretend we didn't do that. That's like yeah. a, a <laughs> right, you know, right. you didn't see that. And now we're resetting and now the scene is back on. Um, and like, it's almost like uh, showing the puppet strings or whatever, yes. where yeah. we more are like every single moment, including the transitions, are part of the show and are interesting and um, we like when we teach the form, uh, which will primarily teaches the form, but a bunch of us do when we do festivals and stuff. Uh, it's really teaching like all of the different kinds of transitions you can do, um, which are based on like what you're inspired by in the scene. So like if someone just like said something funny, like you might do like some kind of verbal edit. But if someone like uh, like a steel line type edit or. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah okay, exactly. Yeah. You could do something like that. Mm hmm. Um, or, uh, yeah, like a, a good example that we use <laughs> is like uh, my friend um, Paul Dome. He's been in the cast forever as well. He uh, was in a show. I, I don't think I was in this show. But uh, someone on stage was like um, doing a scene that was pretty like real. And, and someone was like, I, you know, about a breakup. And someone said, I really, I miss her smell. And then Paul edited with, uh, a character named Mr. Smell. <laughs> and I feel like that's a good example of like, who knows, yeah. who knows yeah. what's going to happen. Right. Where it's like, I missed her smell turned into I'm Mr. Smell, uh, yeah. the superhero. Um, but you could also be inspired by something else. It could be physical. It could be, it could be kind of anything at all. Do you guys have like, like a, a, a easy go-to way that you describe game to students or anyone else? Um, my go-to is always to break down the cowbell sketch from SNL and, uh, uh, cause it's very, like, everybody knows that sketch, first of all. That's a good one. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and they, it, it's really set up like, uh, a group scene. Uh, they, they, uh, set up the world, they introduce the characters, they build the parameters. And then just like UCB talks about that first unusual thing is the cow the first time he hits the cowbell and you see the reaction 
They do it again. You see a heightened reaction. And then everybody in the room is on board. You know exactly what's going to happen. And it's still funny each time to see how mad they get, how weird Christopher Walken gets, how uh, how out of line Will Ferrell gets. Uh, um, yeah. So uh, it's this just repeating cycle of the same bit, just a little bit zanier every time. Um, uh, that I found has really helped people kind of, because it is a, it's an esoteric, it's, it, it's a hard idea to grasp your head around when you're speaking yeah, about yeah. it. So, yeah. That's funny. I usually use the, uh, the chocolate factory scene from, um, I love Lucy because yeah. it's such a simple game and it has all the factors. Well, first, you know who Lucy is as a character today's different because she's working in a factory and then you discovered the device of she's in front of a conveyor belt and conveyor belts can do a bunch of stuff. They can slow down, it can go faster. So proximity to the conveyor belt and the, and the shelf, uh, there's a buzzer every time, Mm, um, the, the chocolate comes down, uh, you know, and just, it's such a simple game of picking up a piece of chocolate, putting it in the box, putting the box on the shelf, picking up and then all these little factors start getting heightened. So the conveyor goes faster. The bell starts ringing faster. You know, it gets so fast that she can't do the simple game of putting it in the box and putting it on the shelf. Uh, and so she starts eating it. Mouth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then and it, so, so she can't do that anymore. So it's, it's a gradual heightening and it's such a simple premise. That's what mm-hmm. I love about it. It's there's really, you know, oh, the one she, where she eats the chocolate. We all know it. It's so simple. You can break it down in a sentence. So it has all the, you know, contributing factors of what makes a, a game fun and interesting, like the, a simple establishment, a simple pattern, and then the heightening of. Yeah, that's a good example, too. Yeah. 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 I think a lot of times people uh, refuse to believe that a game can be as simple as it is <laughs> a lot yeah, of times yes, like yes, they, don't, yes. they don't trust themselves uh uh that a simple idea can be explored and heightened uh in a really fun creative way so they always feel the need to push more onto the scene and that's when you lose it yeah i was just talking to a friend who um is not a comedy person but they were saying um they were like i don't think i could ever do improv because like what if you have to do a scene with someone and you hate all their ideas? And I was like, then you'll hate the whole thing. That's the whole thing. (laughs) Sometimes someone has an idea and it's not good, but you have to make it good. And you have like a few minutes to do that. So I can't imagine being like, we're at the zoo. No, 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 no. Okay. Well, let's not work the zoo. I don't want to do that either. Uh, Okay. Yeah. And I've seen those scenes happen and I feel bad for everybody in that room. Um, And I think that's what, why like basically just piggybacking what you both said. um, We are so strict in the beginning of this process. So like just say yes. And then also say the word and Uh, uh, which is the and part I think can be tough for people as well. Uh, Cause I, I agree. It's, it's a good acting tool, but it's also a confidence builder because if you are if you're not comfortable it's so easy to say no so as soon as soon as you have a couple rule of of rounds of i have to say yes because that is my job and it goes somewhere then you feel a little more confident well okay i shouldn't judge this because i judged the past five and i was wrong 
So I might not be the best judge and I should just go along with it until something grows. Yeah, I never thought about it like that. I always think of like, oh, it's it's like shorthand for a concept, but I've never thought of it, thought of it as training wheels. Like <laughs> it's just what you have to go by for the first however long you're improvising until you're like, okay, then now I can think about yes and less. To like become free that. range. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No more training wheels. Yeah. Uh, and that was important too, because this energy I left after five days at the annoyance changed me who I was as a performer. They do say you get so full of the annoyance energy, you kind of have to let it sit and dissipate and you take on, you know, what works for you. Um, also around this time, uh, 08, 09 was when I, I got put onto a Herald team at the ITC and it was called standards and practices. Now, at the time, it was like 10 people, 10 or 12 people. And slowly, you know, people left and things happened. And we were performing weekly until it came down to the four of us, uh, Matt Foley at Cameron Algie, Kevin Whalen, and myself. And we had known for a while that was the core four. And that became, you know, one of the reasons that, uh, I, you know, it's one of those things. I love Michael Jordan so much. And Michael Jordan would always play with people in their forties when he was growing up because he always played against people who are way better than him. So with those guys, it was like, I was always playing with people who are better than me uh, because they're so talented and our group mind was so tight. And I, for the first time was allowed to do the things they made me look good. And I could be even bigger than I was and physical and out, you know, and they would make yeah. everything look yeah. beautiful. You have this amazing safety net when you, when you are playing with people that much more experienced than you or, um, uh, yeah, like you said, playing with people that, that you feel are, are better than you is, is you're like, well, I can swing for the fences when I'm doing this and go through a lot of, especially if you're sitting on that annoyance energy and you're like, yeah. I gotta, I gotta release this and kind of find my way and, uh, but do it in, in a, with a team in a setting that's not going to, uh, damage relationships or, or create tension. Uh, I imagine that that is a great, um, way to let out a lot of that playing style and, and grow with a Huge. team like that. Huge. And that team too, you know, even when we had more people, we had a real important, uh, no offense here, come to Jesus meeting. Uh, was, uh sorry, Bob. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. So mad. Um, it was a really, really beautiful uh, meeting we had. We had a lot of issues with the, the, the coach, one of the players, the guy who runs a company, blah, blah, blah. Where we had this beautiful meeting where we went around the table and said to everybody, like 10 people, like, what do you want for yourself? You know, what can we do for you as a team? What do you want more on stage from yourself and from the team? We went around and, you know, we all heard each other out. And then the next show is goddamn amazing where everybody was given everything they wanted i wanted to fly more you know so they picked me up at the end of the show and they all raised me and i was flying in the air it was so much joy <laughs> it was incredible and you know cameron we have a lovely because cameron said yeah i just don't want to do what i'm doing so i just want to be new cameron from now on and so we're like, okay well new cam so <laughs> he just changed and started doing whatever it is he wanted to do differently <laughs> from that oh my god that wow. is uh, that's amazing he just I, said yeah i don't like what i'm doing so i just want to be new cam and i'm like 
Can I ask, did you notice the difference between old cam and new cam? Yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I, like, I just had this thought like, I'm new cam. Like, I don't see the difference. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah I love it. <laughs> oh, no. Freedom. Freedom, man. When you when you allow somebody freedom, yeah. it's a beautiful thing. And uh, that freedom ties into the clown. But I, I really do try to. I think that that's something that comes with either immediate skill those you know new improvisers who start out and they're just raw talent when it comes to improv or I think it takes years to kind of be good at playing in the moment because I, I think we all have so many ideas and when you're on stage the general you as the improviser you think what you're going to say is going to be the funniest thing. That's going to be the thing that takes like tears the house down. Um, it's going to be the most TJ and Dave esque moment. So many of us think that while we're on stage, <laughs> but, but it's, it's not. It's, yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. This is going to be great. <laughs> and then it flops. And I feel like those moments mm. when stuff flops, it's because we're not listening to our yeah. seat partner. Mm. And that yeah. is the the struggle of staying in the moment is like listening and responding to what the last thing you just heard was not the idea that you had on the sidelines. And then you come back out and you're like, uh, but, 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 and then you do your thing and it doesn't make sense with what your teammates have been doing. So I'm in those moves, when you do stay in the moment, in my experience, when you do stay in the moment and you do celebrate your teammates idea by building on it, rather than saying, you know, drilling in with your idea those are the more successful shows. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump. So a, a a white man asked me once, like, how can I? Is it possible for me to? How can I be black on stage? <laughs> so is was his question, and Great. I was like, what What do you mean? And he and he said then, well, I can't play your black husband. And we had just come off a show together. He was like, I can't play your black husband. And I, my immediate was, was response was why not i play your white wife all the time like right and, <laughs> <laughs> like i do it all the time in my like obviously i'm looking at you i i don't i don't know i play a white woman it's fine i it's very easy now why is it easy because i believe in the character that i am playing i don't have to walk on stage and say I'm a white woman. Like, I don't have to do that. And neither does that young man have to walk on stage and say, I, I'm now a black man or however black men talk, I guess. But like, uh, <laughs> oh, no, no, I said it. it's okay for me to do it. It's okay for me to do it. Like, all right. So. I would watch that scene. Would... <laughs> no, uh, but the, the, that believing in your shit, the, the belief, is really what it is. It's like if you are in a scene and really you want to be a, a horse or a unicorn or whatever, if you believe like, ah, yes, I, I have a rainbow tail and I my fur sparkles and when I speak, rainbows come out and like stars shoot out of my eyes. And you can like, in, like really feel it in your body. Um, but yes, and then the other part about that chill is, oh, th there's a interesting, thing to me that happens off stage right so the idea it, it the idea that you told that woman basically you said believe in yourself right mm -hmm. you have to believe in yourself anything you say is correct and to come from a space outside of improv where 
every either everything I say is wrong or everything I say is questioned or there's no reason to believe in myself because there's an actual answer. I don't have to believe I'm a horse. I can look in the mirror and I see I'm not a horse. Like, or I don't have to believe that I'm gonna get this raise. I don't I can't just believe it. I have to work for it and then the raise will come or whatever. We we're like socialized to understand that yeah. belief isn't real. And so for you to tell her, no, what like if you hold your hand like this, you automatically have a hot dog in it. You know what's in your hand. You what is it? Like, tell us. Or who are you? You you tell us. Like I think that that's such a, a oh, disconnect. God. It's so interesting to just to hear that story. Um, and then to say, then to come around and to tell young improvisers. Yeah, the 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 click of it is believe in your head. Sure, you can do all the things in your body. And then you have to stick. You have to stick the landing here before you can stick yeah. it out there. You could tell when you see an improviser who's pretending to be a child you can tell if they know any actual children yeah <laughs> or teenagers teenagers get such a rough go in improv because they're always portrayed by people who either don't honestly remember what it's like to be a teenager right. or have no respect for teenagers yeah. or have a teenager in their life that they're looking at through a very small unfair window mm -hmm. oh did you ever read a very small unfair window it was such a beautiful book um, <laughs> <laughs> but like yeah people is that real that, or are you just believing your own shit that's my own shit <laughs> yeah, i love it uh, like uh but like, yeah, you can tell when an improviser doesn't know any children. Yeah. You can tell when an improviser doesn't know any teenagers. And you can tell when an improviser doesn't know any black men. Or have <laughs> never, have never met a, a, a thought about someone in a sophisticated, layered way. Yeah. Right. Well, I've got some thoughts. <laughs> cool. I've got some thoughts, certainly. Uh, yeah. Well, let's let's start here. With the initial getting of the suggestion, oftentimes when I'm with when I'm teaching my students, I, I remind them that that is a great time to kind of show your personality, and it's also a great place to maybe burn a couple suggestions you're sick of. Because one thing I don't like to watch is an improviser attack an audience member for their suggestion. So let's just start there. That, that'll be the first thing I address. And you guys, I'm sure, have seen this where someone says, like, we have a location and someone yells out, inevitably, bathroom, right, is usually right. one of the big ones. And, uh, and then you've maybe seen an improviser go, oh, very creative, right, or something like that. Yeah, I, yeah, hate, yeah. I hate that because you don't want the audience member driving home going like, why did I say bathroom? I'm such <laughs> an idiot. You know, it, it's just not, <laughs> not, not my favorite. So first and foremost, let's talk top of the show. I think that it's great to come out, have great energy, not be dismissive, be yourself. And if there are suggestions that you want to burn, burn them. As in, can I have a suggestion of a, of a location, like a Starbucks or a bathroom, but not those? I do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I also tell my students to, and I, I, I incorporate this as well, don't just ask for a suggestion of anything, because that also opens you up for the gross suggestions and blah, 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 blah right? So yeah. 
Um, if you give them kind of a box, that usually helps. Can I have a suggestion yeah. of a location, an emotion, uh, something you find at a hospital, a kitchen, whatever, right? Yeah. Um, conversely, if you're on a team and you're on stage on a back line, you're also going to want to remember to have some stage presence there as well. You don't want to be on the back line if a scene's going maybe a little rough and your face is like this. Totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, you're on stage picture, yes. I remember <laughs> a, a student once editing a scene and had the cockiest little run, like, let me get us out of this kind of run around. <laughs> and at, at, at the note session, I was like, don't ever do that again. Who the hell do you think you are? Uh, yeah. you, know, you gotta kind of just if the if the show is burning, crashing and burning, and you see me on the back line, I'm like this. <laughs> yeah, right? totally. You're like, yeah. <laughs> in my head, I'm like, this is a net going well, but in yeah. my face is neutral, <laughs> neutral to delighted. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, what I'm hearing from that is that one of the First things that uh, is is a good thing, just in general stage presence for an improviser to learn, is that um, you want to avoid being douchey, <laughs> and, yes, and, yeah. yes. and and uh, and that like you really you really have an opportunity to present because because we're not like going off stage for a lot of it and and dressing up and being in character for all of it. You want to make sure that you're you're staying as like a. Uh, Available, positive yes, presence on yes, stage. Yes, yes. Accessible. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the phrasing, James and Bob. Stage <laughs> presence. You're right. on stage. No. And, and this, presence. And this conversation actually reminds I me of... Over. <laughs> uh, this reminds me of something you told me when I was coming up. Because you were both my first and third teacher. Uh, uh, when you're hosting, hosting it as if you're hosting a party. And you're greeting people. Don't you know? Don't be douchey. Like yes, that, that that's stuck, lovely. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You, you said it. You don't have to do a tight <laughs> five. You don't have to come out there and do a tight five. But you can come out. You know, when I you if you guys have ever seen me when I come out, I'm like, hello, yeah. hi, welcome. We're happy you're here. We're gonna do a show. We're gonna make everything up on the spot. Nothing has been planned for those people in the audience who maybe don't understand. Yeah. what the hell's going on right and and i always avoid if we're doing a podcast about this i can i can vent some of these tiny frustrations i usually avoid saying it's going to be funny or <laughs> i promise you'll laugh or you'll like it i, I usually yeah, yeah. don't say anything like that i mean i've seen that said and that's fine if you say that but i just go like we're gonna make up uh, you know, create something based on an audience suggestion. And then when I get the suggestion, even if I don't want it, I still take it because if you start to cherry pick suggestions, that doesn't work either. Right. And yeah, people, yeah. some people do that. I mean, I think if you're going to do that, I have seen some very um, established teams do that and I get it. They've been doing this long enough, but then you just let them know. Guys, throw out a few different suggestions. Let's hear them. What do you think? What are some places? And then, then someone says, you know, a museum. Oh, that's cool. A museum. What else? Uh, what's something else? A park. Okay, great. What's what's another location that 
that inspires you. Uh, a, a picnic table. Okay, I'm, I'll take picnic table. So you're you're rolling over museum and you're rolling over park, but you're not insulting them by going museum. No, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> not this time. We got it recently. <laughs> we did that time. last week. You should have been here. <laughs> yeah, dope. So, so that's that's my first part that I, I want to mention is is it, okay. it, it's it's fun to show a little personality for the person who gets a suggestion, and then yeah. then good reminder is you are on stage the entire time, especially if you're at a theater where there are no wings. So just try to stay engaged, and and if there is something going on that's a little awkward, you don't have to let the audience read on your face that you are uncomfortable because you're teammates may pull right through that and make it the best scene you've ever seen. You really don't know. So let's right. not judge it from the, from the back line for goodness sakes. To me, uh, playing grounded as I come at this, you know, from an acting background first, uh, is, is really about connection and, um, these are going to be all cliches, but connection and staying in the moment and, um, and being really true to that moment versus, you know, there, I feel like there's sort of two settings for us as players. There's that, like looking for the bit, looking for the bit, looking for the bit, you know, like where's the game, you know, the, the head and the balls basically. And, and for me, ground is playing from the balls and, <laughs> and the guts where it's like, you know, 10,000 bits can go by. It doesn't matter because I'm, here in this place being kind of patient and really trying to, to build a foundation to work from. So, yeah, I, I think that, uh, grounded, it, it sounds like is more about playing from like an emotional acting place for like the, the reality of the character. Um, does it matter to you if it's like, or I, I guess like, how do you, keep things grounded when it's like uh kind of in fantasy or sci-fi world or like you know what i mean i mean look whether you're writing or playing or playing something that's already been written you're coming from a base of a character that has a want and a set of feelings um and and those can vary but just constantly folding back into some of those basics will always keep you grounded. So if you catch yourself thinking like, oh, I could be saying something funny here. The audience really likes the other guy I'm on stage with better than they like me. You know, all those things that go through your head that pull you out of those moments. I think you just keep coming back to who am I? What do I want? What am I feeling? You know? And I think that can be a grappling hook for you. Yeah. Okay. So that, and I think that's super useful. I don't think I've ever really heard it uh, framed that way because grounded usually I, I think about like what the kind of content or subject is, but like it seems like a really useful, it's also useful to to be like, well, are you in your head or are you in the character? You know what I mean? Keeping yourself uh, in the mindset of what the scene is feeling and doing. That's cool. I think it's well, and that's when I, I think one of the things that's more challenging about improv than acting and actors will roll their eyes at me, but you know, when I get shit from people who are actors, right. Uh, about going into improv and doing, you know, shows for beer money in front of a screen that people are trying to watch the hockey game. Um, <clears throat> I'm like, there's a reason. Oh, Hey, that's my assistant with the coffee. Uh, <laughs> 
there's a reason why you're not doing this and it's because it's harder and a little scarier. And part of that harder part is that we have this giant part of analysis going on in our head because we're playwriting uh, while we're playing it. Um, the last time I did an actual play uh, and it was already written, I was like, okay, we have this. Why do we have four weeks of rehearsal? The play is already written, <laughs> right? What else are we going to do with all this time? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I think, uh, I don't remember where we started off, but I, the point is like, those same elements are the same, whether you're coming to a role from as an actor or an improviser, you can only really control the character and, and how they react and, and what they're feeling. Yeah. You know? So, so internally for me, I know when I'm out of it, when, when I side with the audience over my scene partner and specifically it's those times when like, Maybe your scene partner has said something that negated the scene, or maybe you've said something and you either do the literal take to the audience. It's like, we're on a team against this guy. Or or it's like <laughs> pointing out to the audience, hey, remember we're doing an improv show and we just made a mistake. <laughs> like instead of embracing that as a total commitment and truth to the scene. And that's right. really hard to do, especially if, if it's like, man, I told you that it was nighttime and you just said the sun's really bright. Instead of going, we're on the planet whatever that has sun and night at the same time. Same time. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so, like, it, it's those moments. And they're so, it's so easy and so hard to do at the same time. Because, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and you constantly, and, and that, I think that's why improv is so great because it's, like you will have these amazing sets and not know why. And then you will have real shit sets and you're like, I feel like I know why, but I'm still not sure we can dissect it yet. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I always thought like, you know, that being consistent is one of the hardest things. I think it's in Tina Fey's book where she was like, the best improvisers in the world succeed like 70% of the time. And yeah. I was always like, yeah, yeah, that's that's dead on. I think so. And I've, I think I've witnessed a few of like, the best improvisers in the country and you know yeah that's that's about where they operate at is like 70 80 percent so i think yeah. like i think it's super super important it's tough i and i think that um one thing that came to mind for me is inconsistency and just thinking about that angle on it of, of, of uh consistency in your performance from show to show as an individual i mean there, there's the troop consistency too but as an individual performer um, I was thinking about like, man, really a big part of that is also kind of narrowing down the um, things that you choose to uh, perform in or who, who you want to play with. Uh, yeah. You should obviously be able to, to play with anybody and have fun with anybody, any other improviser. That's a major part of like uh, being an improviser and, and belonging to a community. But at the same time, like how much of it do you guys think is, you know, about uh, kind of whittling down what you're choosing to spend your time on, um, and and what 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 feeds into your your style and the things you want to do, the things you have fun with, and the things you're good at. I think you just said the key right there, James. That the last part is like the fun part. I know that I personally have met so many improvisers that you can't question their love of improv, but they they're almost doing improv too much to where I think they suffer 
and then the consistency just kind of dips because of exhaustion and I always say there's lack of butterflies in your stomach if you're doing it all the time and it feels like a chore man I just don't know how you can be successful being in that state of mind going on stage I think a lot of the consistency is wanting to do improv rather than like I have a show tonight you know what I mean Yeah, yeah 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 Well, and to piggyback on that, like the th- we're talking about the thirty percent of the time you're you have those lulls, can be if you're performing so much, you're not going out and living anything, living life. So, what are you bringing to the stage? What kind of life experience? You can only go back to the year before, or you know, whenever you started like doing your your run um, of improv every night, because uh, then all you're all, all you're doing is waking up, you know, having dinner, then going to do some more improv. Like, and you can't talk about improv while you're doing improv so it kind of you know it kind of burns you out yeah that burnt that i i used to get burned out and it would just be like you know you start a scene and someone's in a you're typing in an office and i remember just having that thought in the improv scene of like i don't want to be in this like i don't want to be typing and I, this is fake you know you start to just be like this fake. is not your heart's not into it so like right I would just like zip. I just, that was always my worst habit is like, if I wasn't into it, I would play in the scenes, but it would just all be like, meh, meh, who cares? You know, and once I'm going into the who cares, well, I'm not improvising at that point. Yeah. So, you know, consistency to me is always like, it's so much just not even being on stage as much as it is like just being taking care of yourself off stage. make sure you have enough sleep. How many improvisers do we know that just don't sleep? They're like vampires. Yeah. You know, I knew so many people that just like, we're not taking, I was one of them, just not taking care of yeah. ourselves. And it's just like, then you're just like trudging your ass on stage. And it's like, oh boy, that's not going to be consistent. It's like being an athlete. Yeah. You got to stay. Yeah. Shape, I mean, another word you know? for consistency could be balance. You know, you right, have to exactly. have that balance in your life. Yeah. Right. You know, and you're, you said it, Bob, like, if you're not out there living a full life and just improvising, boy, you are just getting into the weirdest improv habits at that point. And it's, mm-hmm. I think it makes for a bad improviser. I, I, I've always heard like, you know, like I, we both, we've all met some of the best improvisers in the country. And every time they talk about improv, I feel like they just don't really care that much. And it's like, oh, they no. don't, yeah. you know what I mean? They like, love no, it, I know that like tone. Not, yeah. Yeah. They're just not, they don't hold it so tightly white knuckled, you know? So, uh, and speaking of uh, speaking of workshops, um, the topic for this episode is on mindfulness, um, which is a uh, topic that Ken, you've been running a workshop on uh, with Bad Dog Theater uh, for how long? Did you say you've been doing that for for a while? Right? I think just uh, yeah, it's over a year now. It was wow. like a year last, I think, around May or so that uh, that I, I had an opportunity to 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 put this together and i i love it i it, you know improv and mindfulness i think go hand in hand or like good improv <laughs> you know like right. involves yeah. a lot of mindfulness, being in the moment and it is still it's interesting of how often especially as improvisers we don't spend in the moment we're often kind of thinking like a few steps ahead right like, what's the game of the scene like what are the other moves and such um but i, I know again like playing with isaac for example in two my no show i'm like my most favorite moments are where i'm just me and isaac are so connected so in the moment connected with our audience as well and just in that state of play but there's actually a lot of work that goes into how do we show up to be at ease and to have that 
disability to playfulness and such. Because I grew up, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up with a ton of self-consciousness and oh, fear yeah. and nerves and anxiety uh, into the world. And it was only when I was about 30 or so that I start, that I jumped into improv classes for the first time. So it was like, oh, it's such a strange environment to, to live with such negative thoughts and negative feelings for your whole life. And then to experience this oasis of improv, which is like, no, we accept you as you, as you are. And the more yeah. that you are in the moment, the more you're helping the collaboration, the more you're helping the scenes, the, the, the dynamic, the, the ensemble, all that kind of stuff. So it's been a real catharsis for me just to find improv, to discover improv and the joys of moment because it reinforces, it's like the repetition of doing improv reinforces being mindful and to let go of like, no, 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 I want the scene to go this way. No, it's like, but this is what's happening. This is the reality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's why it's so fun to play with Isaac because no matter what we do, it's like there's such a, a wholeheartedness acceptance of the moment. And we, as you, as both of you can attest, we love to go absurd. I mean, well, we don't have to, but we often do. And it, cause it's just fun and it's just so much fun and, and playful. And, but again, it's like, we got to push through a lot of that negative self-talk and all that messaging and conditioning that we've had throughout our lives and adults, I think come to improv uh, almost like very, like, uh, like very, uh, on edge and, and very fixed minds, you know, like, uh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? <laughs> you know, or it's like, right, right. play, man, just play kids, you know, like they don't think about, are they playing it right? No. Are you playing pretend right? Can you, can you describe how you make choices about how to explore something that, that is drawing you to it because you can make it more simple like like the finger example or you can make things more complicated like the cook county example and, and it's like how do you kind of like uh follow like is there is there a way that's consistent in the way that you follow those moments i think so and by the way i think we all should be working both sides like even when i teach there's uh, an exercise i do where i have someone come out and try to give like the, uh, the world's greatest monologue, you know, like I want you to come out and uh, no bullshit. I want you to come out and this is going, you're going to win an Oscar for this monologue, right? However, um, if you start losing the audience, you can do whatever you have to, to get them interested again. But then you have to go back to this monologue, right? You can do anything you want. You know, you'd be like, nay, 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 nay. and as long as they're looking at you again, you could then be like, what is this failure of man and man's gift? Like, so like to me, like this spectrum, like I, I can't stress enough that even though I talk about silliness and stupidity, I am in a constant search for beauty. So the sketches. Okay, cool. And then Ken and I, to answer your question uh, properly, it's no, the show was never written. Okay. When we started touring without our director, Mark, um, it was very difficult and the show changed and we went through a lot of stress and challenges with the show on tour because the show truly was a clown show. And to me, what that means in this sense is that it was never written down. We knew our beats. I later learned like in Commedia dell'arte, they're called like, uh, there's something called Lazzi's. Like a Lazzi is a comedic beat that you hit. So we had these beats. We had the order of the show. Mark is a brilliant tech guy. Is it, like he's a, I don't know. <laughs> he has probably a degree in tech or something. 
He's a master. So he would follow us. He would cue sounds. He put the music and the lights. He knew what had to happen. We knew the beats we had to hit. Things can change within it. We can improvise. We can feel the moment. We can play with something and let it go a bit if we need to with the audience, listen to what the audience wants. But we know the beats of the show. You know, we even got so far as we, we ran it for the first time the night before we opened and we were 10 minutes short. <laughs> we had like a 40 minute show. So we thought of the idea like, well, why don't we pretend that we had mics on, leave the stage. We've already done our multiple bows. And then we go on actual mics on the side and just start chatting from behind the curtain. Uh, breathing really heavy, <laughs> being like, ah, like, great show, man. Yeah, you too. Oh, man, you see that, like, man, she's pretty hot in the first, you see that girl? Like, <laughs> so we're just saying stuff. And some people, that was a favorite part because the show would never end. They just didn't know if they could leave or not. One guy got mad at us and said, like, he stood up and said, you can leave, the show's over. You're allowed to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, to answer your question, we never, we never wrote the show down. And it was very difficult. That's awesome. After the summer of 09 wow. tour, because I had, I had to write. The touring is very hard. My, my, my heart goes out to everybody who's toured. It's a very difficult thing. And the first time for Ken and I, Ken had a job. So I had to tech the show without him. Sometimes I had to give it to tech people who weren't our directors. So I had to write our show down and the show changed because once you start putting in, somebody following a direction, they're not truly playing with us, you know? And Mark was yeah, right. a, a third performer in the show. And, you know, it's a big thing. So really it's like, well, how do you create a show that allows that kind of fluidity? Um, I, I, maybe the answer is you gotta, the director, the t like, they, they gotta come with you. They gotta be yeah. the person, yeah. maybe. And that's hard, it's a lot of money. Yeah, that's interesting that kind of stuff, because, but... that's so interesting because there was an article, um, and I can like, uh, put in the links or whatever later, but it was on Variety, and um, she, this woman wrote a, wrote about in the news stories after that mass shooting happened. It was I think six Asian women were killed. Um, the people in the comments were like making these horrible jokes um, and stuff like that, where like you think that you would we would also face that too, where these horrible jokes would come in and be more trolling going on. But there's trolling going on. In these like very serious, horrible situations. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. yeah like, I, what, I guess what that is that? really like that's where that's where trolls would have their most fun, right? Is is something right. that should be taken seriously. Not not probably not at a comedy show where they're like, Yeah, that's already kind of the tone anyway. Um, right. so yeah, it's terrible. Uh, and I'm glad that it's not as um uh, spilling into uh the improv world. It seems generally pretty fairly supportive, especially from the audience comments and and whatnot. But um it just sucks to see that stuff anywhere. Um, and and what what is some of like the most uh, when you see this type of humor? Let's let's define it first. Like you're talking about, um, you mentioned specifically sexism and um, chauvinistic remarks uh, being the the type of jokes. Um, but are you talking? You're talking more about destructive humor that could be about any sort of um, discrimination or uh, yeah. pejorative. Right. Joking. Yes. yes. I and I I just kind of addressed it to the comedy scene because it's happening with within the scene too. But um, I addressed it to the comedy scene because I think we think about jokes a little bit more and the construction of jokes and our intention. Um, and whether it's stand up or improv or sketches, we think about this a little bit more 
So when I see it happening within our community, I get a little bit more irritated by it. Yeah. Where like, so that Tim Robinson sketch, I don't know if you're going to talk about it, but um, it, I don't know if I should break that sketch yeah, down right now. Yeah, absolutely. Basically, um, so for my think you should leave, I've watched it over and over. <laughs> Obviously, I think we all have, especially during mm -hmm. the pandemic. Right. But um, there's a scene where he's in a work meeting and he goes and sits down and he sits on a whoopee cushion and all the coworkers crack up and it's like a joke. But and then he <laughs> rightfully so gets into this like bit about like, what's the joke here that I have a slightly milder fart than no one barfed or like it's something like, <laughs> right. like what's the joke? Um, and it's a hilarious way of looking at that. But I, I kind of felt like that, that what's the joke, like asking people in those situations, um, that's a good way of kind of getting down to the core of what was going on. Um, and especially like during the pandemic, some of my friends who are working in person dealing with their coworkers, um, making jokes about how they're taking precautions or these serious things that right. make people really anxious. Um, and it's like, what's the joke here that you're making fun of me for being conscious about the pandemic and not wanting continuing to the spread of this and yeah. like people's lives? What's the joke? Um, so I think that that's kind of like the root of my, my post that I was making that looking at when you're in the situation with people that you could use that in the moment. Um, Cause I think that's, that's the thing is we struggle with recognizing something, but then what do we do in the moment when we do recognize it? And I think yeah. that little, that little line sometimes uh, helps me uh, kind of look at it uh, to more directly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I feel like basically we're asking a, what's your intent and why is that your intent? So was your intent to, to to break the ice or you know make something uncomfortable? You know, get levity, or is it, hey, I I feel uncomfortable, so I'm just going to react in some kind of weird way, or you know, like, are you trying to comfort yourself? Are you trying to comfort us? Yeah. Or are you just trying to be shitty? Um, right. I, I do think not. It's... Yeah. Sorry. Sorry go ahead. <laughs> or I was just gonna say, or do you not know what to say? So you're just basically making a that's what she said joke. Uh, because you can't add to the conversation. <laughs> and then that's the thing there too. It's like, if we can't add to the conversation, that's okay. You gotta be just yeah. like comfortable with your silence sometimes. <laughs> and um, you just take up space to take up space or to, to show dominance or to show that you're still right. here and you're relevant and you want to be funny still. Um, yeah. I think that and I, I want to come from a place that I've been guilty of this too. And that I'm not saying like everybody needs to listen up. I'm taking it to the streets, <laughs> but um, <laughs> that's weird. Your Molly impersonation <laughs> sounds just like mine. I'm always like, have you heard Molly talk? Point my finger at people. Um, but <laughs> I, like, I like when you don't, when you point your finger at people, it's not even aggressive. You're pointing it's so up. Wiggle. Like, it's it's slow wiggle, yeah. That's how nice you are. <laughs> As I said, I, I've really been interested over the last few years in particular when I'm teaching improv or public speaking or clown uh, or comedic acting is to foster the play first, is to begin to like, what can you do to affect how you show up in the first place? And what is your mindset and how does, because I, I, and, and I, for me, I like to, I like to include the audience in my experience rather than try to sort of drive an agenda of this mm -hmm. is what the scene is going to be about. I'm, for me, I just think it's an easier, it's more satisfying 
Um, and, and and for me, and playing with Isaac, it also frees us up to play moments, which I, I see a lot of beginner improvisers are so bogged down in exposition that they lose the fun, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I kind of, maybe it's just, uh, uh, it's more of it coming at it from the, the path of least resistance in the sense. I'm like, I want to, so I want to honor both. You're absolutely right. I want to honor what my scene partner has said, and, and but I want to bring my audience in. So they're almost like a third partner a scene partner, their input, or their kind of like their immediate direction, they laugh or they don't laugh, or they're listening really intently, um, is information for me that I get to play with. It's another variable that I can help sculpt. Because I, I know that feeling that I get when I get a laugh, especially early on in a set, and I'm like, oh, that means I can go even bigger, you know, like that means it, it's almost this thing of like giving me permission to explore even further. Um, and I generally have more fun that way. And if I leave a set where I'm like, I had fun, I generally had fun. And not one of the, the sets where people come up to you afterwards and be like, did you have fun? Oh, <laughs> like, oh yeah. Are That's you okay? Yeah. 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 How are you? Hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Improv's hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I also know that one of the things that James and I have like bonded over a little bit is it's such like, I mean, this is an improv podcast. So this is something we bond over is um, when people <laughs> are like nerding out hardcore on improv, but that's the point. of Welcome it. to the show. <laughs> yeah, please. That's what we're here for. Heck yeah. I feel like James and I get equally frustrated at uh, the name thing. I call somebody James in the scene. He calls him James in the scene. Somebody else calls him James in the scene. And then somebody's like, oh, what's Henry doing? Like that. Oh, yeah. Then you see my face. And then I'm thinking, like, how many ways do, can I figure out how to justify this? How to, how to tell right, them right. that this is not the name? And, and then it just feels like amateur hour. And I, I hate That's it. I hate it. <laughs> That's a cousin to one of my biggest pet peeves. Like, uh, if a female improviser comes out and like, "Hey, uh, hey, kids, you wanna you wanna go see my uh, I don't know junkyard?" Yes, yeah. mom. And you're like, what? <laughs> like, why? <laughs> oh, because she's yeah, a female. She's a female. Like, no, she's playing a dude. She just scratched your balls. Yeah. I don't know, man. Also, don't <laughs> name, don't name her. Like, that is another yeah. thing to me. That I thought that's so basic when they teach you uh, walk-ons. Let the if the person who's walking on has an idea, yeah. let them. Yeah. They'll get their idea oh, out. Oh. Don't worry. Yeah. The cutoff, like someone yeah. walks on, and then you know they have this big present. Like, oh look, it's Frank. Like, yeah, I guess I'm Frank now. Uh, yeah. Shit. <laughs> You just—I feel like it just cuts—it cuts the wind out of so many people's sails so many times, and then and then it's just a bummer. And then the audience is looking at you like you're unprofessional. And these are like nitpicky things, but oh, it's just course. annoying sometimes. I'll give you—I'll give you a good story. All right. Okay. I, I normally right. you'd have to have a few drinks in me for me to start storying, but here we go. Uh, I'm so excited. <laughs> I was taken—I was taken Second City and. I feel like I was taking all three at one time or maybe taking now I was taking IO and annoyance pretty close to the same time. And we went in for the first day of level two at, at, uh, at IO and the, <clears throat> and the instructor came in and he right away, he said, you know, I'm just going to tell you guys right now, I'm the best improviser here in the entire class. Like I'm better at improv than any of you guys. And then I went to my annoyance class the next day and the next day was like joe bill being like man just enjoy yourself and then explore your own creativity and believe in yourself and trust in yourself do whatever the fuck you want 
And it's like, you could not have a more contrasting style of philosophy, which yeah. is, you know, on one hand, and yeah. again, different strokes for different folks, but on one hand, IO was very much like, we've created a formula. Let's plug into that particular formula. We've created a philosophy. Let's plug into that philosophy. And the annoyance was much more like, fuck it, what you got? Yeah. Uh, they're like, they're and like that just rock appealed you're to me. About, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, all right, if you can play, play. You know, we're, we're not about hierarchies. We're not about structures, although everything ends up with a hierarchy and a structure. Uh, but we're really more about like, let's just have fun. Let's, if we like being around each other, then let's be around each other and let's do creative things around each other. So all of a sudden my creativity and my thought around improv went from how do I comply with everything? You know, how do I kind of mold myself into the box they're looking to fit me into? And it, and it flipped to how do I just get out of my way so that I can let my creativity flow and get in touch with my, you know, my core of creativity. So that, that's interesting. Cause like most, uh, second city type learning experiences and students in those experiences do the same, same learning curve, but you happen to do it at the same time. Like you had like more of a sure. Venn diagram than like a learning curve. Like, cause I had the same thing. Cause you, you start, you start taking these classes and Oh, here are the rules. No questions. No, this, no, this, no, this. And you got this checklist in your head when you're trying to play. And how can you call that play when you got a checklist, you know, someone's telling you how to do the thing. So I like that. That's really cool. Yeah, and, you know, to a certain extent, even teaching at Columbia, you know, which kind of forced me to get back in touch with, like, the Viola Spolin roots and that kind of stuff. Because, uh, you know, I took over at Columbia College for Martin DeMott. Uh, oh, wow. Who, unfortunately, had, yeah, he had fortunately had passed. He was sick and then passed away. Uh, and when he was sick, he was couldn't teach his classes. And they reached out to me and they're like, hey, do you want to teach college? And I'm like, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and so I really, you know, tried to honor Martin by kind of going back into the Spolin work. And when you look at all that early improv work, so much of it is just founded in pure play and, you know, yeah. just trying to take kids who are kind of messed up and not feeling like they can express themselves and just giving them the freedom to express themselves. You know, yes. And was originally an exercise, not a rule. Yes. Yes. Anding is only a suggestion. It's, it's a good suggestion, but not, not a, the hard rule we always preach. So I, I thought that would be a good clip to leave us on. Um, just want to take a, a quick second to thank uh, James for, for starting this. Uh, I want to thank all our guests who've been so awesome to, to give us our time and knowledge and experience. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And to thank you for, for supporting us by, by clicking on every week and, and commenting and liking and sharing. It's all been really great. This whole thing has been wonderful and we're just excited to keep on doing this. So thank you. Uh, have a good week.